Father, we give you thanks for another time to be together, to gather as your community. We thank you for your faithfulness to us throughout this year. Father, I pray that you would show us, and maybe for some who are here today or they're watching online or maybe listening to this later, maybe this has been the year that's been the most challenging and it's hard for them to see the faithfulness of God. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring to their minds all that you've done. God, I'm convinced that if we saw all that you do, we would, we'd be watching that, uh, that video for the rest of our lives because of how often you intervene. And so, God, God, I pray that you'd remind all of us of your faithfulness throughout this year, that that would give us hope and joy as we approach a new one, a new year coming starting tomorrow. We thank you that you are God over all. We thank you that whatever comes our way, we thank you that you are sovereign. You will accomplish your will. I pray now as we look at this topic of how do we understand your will? How do we know your will? This Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take a feeble attempt on my part and make much of Jesus, that you would be the one that instructs us and convicts us, encourages us, whatever is necessary to make us look more and more like you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, do a great work, I pray. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before uh, Luke chapter 2, I want to go through Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers or brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Friends, if you've been brought, if you've been brought up in the church, this is one of those passages of scripture that you've heard a lot. This is one that's kind of like, I feel like us pastors go back to this one, but I feel like it's necessary. It, it, follows, it follows Paul's explanation of how massive and incredible God is, that he's so beyond our ability to comprehend his ways, we can't predict it, we can't guess it, that God is so much bigger and sovereign over everything, but he's so much bigger and not like us, and he ends chapter 11 of Romans just saying, okay, I can't understand the depth of the wisdom of God. Who can? Nobody. And so he's just like, then just all praise goes to God. Therefore, because all praise goes to God, this is our response to who he is. And what's our response? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Guys, to present our bodies, it's not just I have this idea about God and therefore I, be I believe these things about God. Therefore, I am good with God, but I can do whatever I want on the outside because it's all about an inward thing. Guys, there are actually there were people, there's a philosophy in that day that was this. Whatever you do on the outside doesn't matter because it's all about a spiritual thing with God. So whatever you do on the outside, you can do whatever you want, but as long as it's an inward thing. Friends, that is so far from the truth that what we do, it shows who we are. Does this mean that we'll always be perfect? Absolutely not. Guys, I can only guess that throughout this past week that we could, if we could go back and change some things, we would do that right? There were some things that popped into our mind. There were things that we kind of kept thinking about that weren't the best, or there were things that we said, or there were things that we did. If we could take them back, we would, because we get it. Hey, we worship God with our bodies and not just the way that we think. So because of who God is, our response should be this, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and pleasing or holy and acceptable to God. And he says, this is your spiritual worship. You don't separate the two. They go together. And then he says this, and how does this all come about? Verse two, I think, is the key. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. That word renewal, it's not just a one-time thing. It's a constant going back to renewing. That's what the word means. So it's not like, hey, I renewed my mind once. We're good. It's constantly renewing our minds. It's to clean out the thoughts that are in our mind. Why? Because our thoughts impact our actions, and we're, and we're supposed to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. That I'm not called to just, I'm not invited to just kind of do whatever I want. This is what makes me feel good, even if it's good. But if it's not pleasing to God, and I think it's important for us to remember, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, as holy and acceptable to God. So I look at what God says in his word. God, what is an acceptable sacrifice that I can present to you rather than maybe we find ourselves kind of giving him the leftovers of our time? of our attention, of our affection. Well, Brian, you know how busy life gets. I do know how busy life gets, but isn't it weird? We always seem to make time for those who are most important to us, and we always make time for the things that are most important to us. And then when it comes to God, it seems like, well, God, it's grace. It's all about grace, and so he'll take this little part, but I'll keep a lot of this to myself. Or this is how I think or how I feel, and therefore, that must be who I am. And God's sitting there going, really, you're going to dumb down existence to just based on how I feel or how I think as if we people are infallible. Friends, I don't know about you. I am so thankful that God is not like me. Guys, I get frustrated over things that don't matter. Can you imagine if every single person lived out every thought or feeling in the moment? Anything you wanted, anything you think, anything you feel, there is no way that our world would continue to live on for all that long. If everyone just had, did however they wanted, we're supposed to be presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice means I give up things because I'm presenting something to God. A sacrifice costs me something, true? If it doesn't cost me anything, that's not a sacrifice. But the sacrifice is supposed to be holy and acceptable to God. Not based upon a preference of mine, but a preference of his. But how does it start? It's the renewal of my mind. Because everything I do is impacted by everything that I think. And so renew your mind, renew your mind. There's two Greek words for the word new in the Greek language. The first is neos, which means a new, like a new point in time. So it's other, it can be like something that's brand new. So uh, uh, someone made a new pencil, or you bought a new house, or you built a new house, or you bought, you bought a brand new car because it was built. It's new. But then there's a second word, which is kainos. And it means a point of, a new point in character or nature. In other words, I was a sinner, I surrendered to Jesus because he invited me into a relationship with himself, and now I'm seen as God as a saint while I'm in the process of being renewed by him and changed by him to become more and more like a saint before him. Now, guys, I'm holy before him. I'm known as a saint, but I've got to work some things out as a saint. 
And that's the renewal of my mind. But there was a moment in time where before Jesus, I was an enemy of Jesus and his cross. And then the Father drew me to the Son. The Holy Spirit convicted me of sin. And I surrendered. God gave me faith that I could surrender to Jesus. And I changed from sinner to saint. From sinner to a child of God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's how it happened for you. That God is the one who started it. That the Father drew you. The Holy Spirit convicted you. God gave you faith necessary to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Guys, it's all about his grace. But this renewal is day by day. It's every day. And it's supposed to be intentional. And here's here's what we can do when we do this. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because it's... New Year's Eve, and it looks a little tired. So here's, I'm just keep it, just think through it. Just think like in my mind, I raised my hand. Guys, how many of you would do the will of God if you just knew what he wanted you to do? Like I would do, God, just tell me what you want me to do. And wouldn't it be easy if he just texted you every day? Bless you. Every day he just texts you, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. Every decision, every thought, don't cut that person off. Oh, but I really want to. Hey, don't run that yellow light. I can almost make it. Boom, punch it. Then I can show how many horsepower I have, Pete Dewars. But it's like, I can do this. Wouldn't it be easy if you just sent me the text, gave you the phone call moment by moment? Just tell me what to do. Tell me what to do, God. Tell me what to do. Isn't it weird, though, that we don't like that type of relationship with any other person? If I just walked up to my wife and said, Kelly, just tell me, what, what do you want me to do? Tell me what you want me to do. Tell me what you want me to do. If that's all that it was. That's not enjoyment. That's not relationship. Here's the byproduct of our renewing our mind. Here's what we can do. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Guys, we can discern the will of God by the renewal of our mind. And that will of God is what? Good and acceptable and perfect. And so can, is it safe to say the opposite of that? When I'm not in the process of renewing my mind, is it safe to say that I will not be able to discern the will of God, which is good, pleasing, and perfect? I believe that it is. So when we jump into Luke chapter two, I think there's some principles on how do we do this, looking at the life of Well, Jesus, kind of, he's an infant, so there's not really much he's doing in the moment, but the people that are around him, and how it is that we live out this life with Jesus. So in verse 21 of chapter two of Luke, it says this, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. A couple of things to point out here. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, see, God gave these instructions, and I've never understood why. I know that maybe some people say, well, here's why God said circumcision will be the sign of the covenant with my people in the Old Testament. I've never found the verse. This is what God said to do, so they did it. And I just cannot imagine what that conversation looked like when Abraham said, this is what the covenant sign is. All the guys got to get circumcised, and it's not just the babies, but all the adult men. You don't sit there and go, absolutely, let's do that. I think every man's going, I'm not up for this. I've never signed up for this. But this is what he set up. And I know he said, what's the, what's the physical reason behind it? I don't know. It doesn't explain it. But isn't it weird that when it comes to God, when it is that he calls us to do something, we always think that there's a reason that's for my benefit rather than God just said it, therefore I do it. That even though there's no benefit in it for me, that I'll obey him. 
because of who he is. And if nothing, quote unquote, good is brought to me except more of him, then isn't that the reason? Isn't he worth it? And isn't that really what worship or worship is? It's worshiping God that's not dependent on the outcome that's favorable for me. It's worship of God because simply he's God. This is what God set up in verse, uh, verse 10, starting Genesis chapter 17. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from a foreigner who is not of your offspring. Isn't it amazing that here it says at the end of the eight days when he, Jesus, was circumcised. Guys, I think this points to the fact that, and we'll get to this just in a little bit, but Mary and Joseph were obedient to God. This had nothing to do with Jesus. I don't know a lot of eight-year-olds that are asking for this or able to do anything. They're just kind of laying around. But Mary and Joseph, they're obedient to what it is that God says in his word. And then it goes on, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. God is salvation. The name was given to them by the angel before Jesus was conceived. I think that's such an important verse for us. It's so important, even in the time that we live now, that God's purpose for Jesus was before Jesus was conceived in the womb. His Jesus is coming. Christmas was not an afterthought. It wasn't plan B. It was always going to happen because God already knew what would happen. But the plan of salvation was put in place before time began. The purpose of Jesus was put in place before Jesus showed up. So is it safe to say that I can look at this passage and look at this verse and say, every single person has a God-given purpose that is in the mind of God before their conception. And if that is true, which I'm convinced according to the scriptures, that is true, the purpose and plan of God for every single human being is on the mind of God before time began. Then life begins at conception because why? The purpose of God was for that baby or that person before time began. And so we hold to the conviction, man, we will stand for life. I think there's a principle in this. The first is this, understand that the plans of God are from eternity past. The plans of God are from eternity past. Let this encourage you. You don't have to figure it out. He's already got the plan. And aren't there seasons where the plan is just awesome? I was like, this is fantastic. And then there aren't there parts in the plan you'd sit there going, I didn't plan this part. In fact, this plan, I, pretty, I, would have, I would have really appreciated if you'd actually ask me, is this a good time for the interruption of your life? And yet God doesn't seem to do that. And yet I feel like as the longer that I've lived life, I don't like the interruptions, but when I get out of the interruption, I can look back and see the good that he brought about with the interruption. I might not see it in the moment, but I can look back and go, okay, that... That would have never changed me like this had that never happened. Thank you, God, that you're willing to break me when necessary. Isn't it amazing how God changes our perspective on things? And most of that happens through what? The mountaintop experience? No. Storms. The tough times. 
That's when God's like, I know this is going to hurt. I know this is going to be painful. You got to trust me in the process. Because the one who breaks us is the one who heals us. And when he heals us, we're stronger through the process. So understand that the plans of God are from eternity past. We go on in verse 22. And when the time came for the purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. I think this is principle number two for us to look at in trying to decipher and understand the will of the Lord. Be obedient to the express will of God found in his word. Where do you get this? Look at it again. When the time came for the purification, according to the law of Moses, according to what was written, then they did those things based upon what was written. So Mary would have been considered unclean for 40 days after the birth of Jesus, and yet eight days after the birth of Jesus, she would take him before, uh, she would take him to the temple, and they would circumcise him. Guys, this is what God prescribed in his word. And so out of obedience to what it is that God has set up, they obeyed. Then she'd continue in her purification from her bleeding for 33 more days, set up by what it is that God said in his word. And then they go back and they do two significant things. The first is the redemption of the firstborn. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 2, it says this, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. That's the first. The second is the purification after childbirth. In Leviticus chapter 12, 6 to 8, And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. Here's the part that blessed me the most, this part. And she, if she cannot afford a lamb... Then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons. If she doesn't have enough money to get a lamb to present the sacrifice, here's what you do. Get two turtle doves or two pigeons. When they came to present the sacrifice, on that day, what did they come with? Mary and Joseph, they show up with what? Two turtle doves or two pigeons. Why? Because they're too poor. They're too poor for the lamb. Guys, is it humbling to know that Jesus shows up and in his plan, hey, I want to be part of this family. I'm choosing them. And they're not going to be the richest in the area. They're going to be poor. They're going to struggle to get by. Isn't it mind-blowing to think that this is the God that we worship and serve and follow? And aren't we thankful that we have two parents here in this passage that were willing to obey God no matter what? We got to present the sacrifice. This is what he says, and he's worthy. Therefore, we will. And we don't have a lot. Doesn't matter. We're going to do this because we will. He's worthy. Parents, can I, can I chat with you for a second? How are you doing as parents? Are you tired? Are you exhausted? Are you guessing still? Am I doing it right? Am I doing it? How badly am I screwing up our kids? It's like we start having these questions. God, am I doing it okay? Am I doing okay? And isn't it amazing we base our parenting, and I think I brought this up before. If not, 
If I did, just pretend like I didn't and be blown away. But I remember listening to a person say, don't grade your parenting on the outcome of your kids. Why? Because kids are different, right? You base your parenting on your parenting. In other words, were you faithful to God? How do you know if you're faithful to God? You look at the expressed will of God that's found in his word and you do it. And we do it. So parents, first and foremost, it starts with our personal walks with Jesus. We want to impact on your kids. Spend time with Jesus. It's first and foremost him. Guys, I use this line in weddings all the time. I also want to make sure that I apply it to everything. If you love Jesus most, you'll love people best. I think a lot of times what happens in our culture is we flip it. We're going to love people most, and we think we're going to love Jesus best. Guys, what happens when I love someone more than I love Jesus, that's idolatry. That's one. Secondly, I will begin to bend on convictions if that person's life or their choices don't fit what it is that God says. So I'm going to love that person and less of what God says. There's a reason when Jesus was asked, hey, what's the greatest command? We'll probably look at this more next week. And he says, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then I want you to love your neighbors yourself. Guys, there's, it's not just he came up with the Shema, which is in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and then out of Leviticus, he brings those together. doesn't matter which order you do it in. Guys, I'm convinced the order is important. You love God first and foremost above everything. And then when you do that, then love people. Just love them. But when it gets out of order, friends, that's when it becomes dangerous. So parents, are you loving Jesus more then you love your kids. You say, oh, I don't know if that's possible. Then you need to spend more time with him. You need to spend time with him. And we need to stop making excuses as to why we don't. Guys, there is plenty to distract us, true? There's plenty. We could always be watching more things and looking at more things and get lost and scrolling. Our thumbs get tired, and so we just switch to the other thumb and keep that scrolling going. And we have all these distractions, but we think that throughout all of human history, there's never been distractions. Parents, the most important thing that you could do for your kids is to love Jesus more than you love them. Because when you love Jesus more than you love them, you will love them amazingly well. I promise. And as I looked at that, this question came to my mind. Is our walk with Jesus the type of relationship that we want our kids to have with Jesus? Like, so when my boys look at me, is my walk with the Father and my walk with the Son and the Holy Spirit, is that type of relationship the kind of relationship that I want them to have with him? And I sat there, I really thought through it, I pondered upon it, going, is this what I want to see for them? And I hope this doesn't sound arrogant. yes. I, I can say I love Jesus more than my family. And you say, well, Kelly's not here. She's watching online. She's up with her dad. I love Jesus more than I love my wife. And when I do, then she'll be loved amazingly well. When I don't, she won't. But I want my boys to look at me spending time with God in the word, in time in prayer, in worship, in fellowship with other followers of Jesus, in sacrificial service to people. I want them to see, knowing I have so much more room to grow, and no point do I believe that I've arrived, but I want to, I want to emulate for them, this is what it looks like to walk with Jesus. I do not want to be just a person, a pastor who teaches them religion. No, no, no. This is what living with the Savior looks like. 
I should be emulating it. And so parents, when your kids look at you and the walk that you have with the Lord, is that the kind of walk with Jesus that you want them to have? And if not, then what changes will you make? And if so, praise God and keep going. Teach them what it means to confess. Confess weakness and sin, to repent from it. Teach them all those things that's included in this walk relationship. Because faith journey, guys, faith journey is not, it's not described as, as perfection. And faith journey is to walk humbly with God who knows everything and still walks with me even though I'm frail and feeble and weak. And I can boast in those weaknesses just like Paul says, because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I can admit that I don't have it all together, when I can admit that I'm weak, when I can admit that I'm scared, and then I go to God who's limitless, in that moment when I rest upon him instead of on my own abilities, I'm resting upon the one who has all power and knows everything. And that's why Paul said, I can, I can boast in my weaknesses because that's when I'm strong. The parents, we also understand we've been entrusted with the care and discipling of our kids. Parents, you are, I want to make sure you understand this. Please see this, understand this. You are the main disciplers of your kids. It is so important. What I pray, parents, you never, I don't ever want you to feel this. The stuff that happens up here behind the pulpit, like what this is an aspect of ministry. It's not the whole thing. Please do not look and say, yeah, but I don't do that. So I'm not that important. Parents, let me encourage you. You have the most important job to do everything necessary to set kindling around the hearts of your kids that when the Holy Spirit sets in the flame, it bursts. I mean, this fire just engulfs them. The Holy Spirit just takes them and they surrender to Jesus because that's a God thing. But you can set the kindling around their heart, friends. That is the most important ministry on the planet. And so thank you for those who are taking it seriously. To say, I want our kids to know Jesus. I'll do whatever it takes. But friends, we always come back to what does the Bible say? Guys, that's why we look at it. What does the Bible say? Every Sunday morning, we're going to come out there. What does the Bible say? We have a Bible reading plan. You go into a home church, we're talking about the Bible. You go into D groups, we're reading the Bible together. Why? Because we want to understand the expressed will of God. This is for all of us. An old school, an old school preacher, pastor, J.C. Rowell, I've quoted him before, he said this, an ignorant con congregation will always be the curse of a church. A Bible reading congregation may save a church from ruin. Let us read the Bible regularly, daily, and with fervent prayer, and become familiar with its contents. Let us receive nothing, believe nothing, follow nothing, which is not in the Bible, nor can be proved by the Bible. Let our rule of faith, our touchstone of all teaching, be, be the written word of God. Friends, we got to get back to it. And stop making excuses. For those that say, I've never had anyone show me how to read the Bible. Have you ever, have you ever read it? Yeah, a couple times. You ever, yeah. Do you know how hard it is? Absolutely. And it's still hard. But if you've never had anyone show you how to do it, I would love to. This is a way on how to read the Bible in a way that you get something out of it. 
and then trust the Holy Spirit to reveal as he does. I promise you that when you do this, some of you are waiting. I'm just waiting for the Holy Spirit to just put that desire in my heart. At what point did that become reality? Do you always, do you always feel like doing the things that you should be doing? Like, think about it. Guys, it takes everything in me now to get a donut. It takes, it's like, oh, there it is. Oh my gosh, maple bar. Guys, if I could take communion with a donut, I would do that. Donut and chocolate milk, that's the way to go. But it's not the right thing all the time. Sure, we can have a donut, like we're going to keep doing them. But yeah, of course we can. But I'm going to just sit there and go for it, even though, man, I have a desire for it, but it's not what's good for me. I don't always desire the things that are best for me. But I promise you this, you make the commitment to spend time with the Lord and he will increase your desire for it. Make the decision to do it and watch God increase the desire. Friends, that's why we're going through the Bible. And it's a two-year plan this time. And it's from a conversation I had with Zach. He's like, why is it always a year? And I've heard other people bring it up. I was like, I, I like the big bird's eye view, but I thought, what if we slow down? Because of what he, what he brought up, I was like, let's slow down. Let's take two years. Let's take two years and just take this bird's eye view, just a little lower, bird's eye view, and really slow down in what it is that God is saying. Guys, it is so important for us to spend time in the word. Verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Here's principle number three that I wrote down. Acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. It doesn't say who Simeon was. We don't know if he was a prophet or not. We just know that before, before in Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon all believers, the Holy Spirit came upon specific people for specific purposes. And most of the time it would be for a prophet. Not every time, but most of the time. So it's possible that he is. But for us today, how do you know you have the Holy Spirit? Instead of go, I don't feel it. Isn't it amazing how much credit we give to our feelings? I don't feel it. So the book that's true, written by the God who's true, can't be true because I don't feel it. My feelings are always dependable. Married folk, have you ever noticed the fights that we can get into because we felt something in the moment and then in the middle of the, in the, middle of the argument you realize that you were wrong? And then you have to decide, will I win the argument from pride or humble myself and go for reconciliation? And what do we go for? Win. I will win. Here's what the scriptures say about when you receive the Holy Spirit. Guys, I've had people walk up to me um, when we did a midweek service a long time ago. They questioned whether or not I was, that I had the, they questioned whether I had the Holy Spirit because I didn't speak in tongues. Or, I don't know that, I don't know that the Spirit of God is in this place because you don't practice the gifts. And I'm like, well, what gifts are you, I actually said, so what gifts are you talking about? And it's always the ones that are expressive, right? Guys, I do believe in the gifts. I think that they're still real and true. But isn't it amazing that, so I asked them, I said, well, do you believe in the spiritual gift of administration? So do you think that if I don't practice the spiritual gift of administration in this worship service, the spirit of God must not be here because that's a spiritual gift just like the rest? What's the spiritual gift of administration? It's like this, setting up to-do lists and tasks so that things get done. That's a spiritual gift. So if I don't have Microsoft Excel up on a screen showing all my administrative gifts, that's not the spirit, so the spirit of God's not here. I thought, how arrogant. 
So I asked the question, and then I never, I never saw him again. So I just want to go back to what Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 to 14 says. So you know, this is what the Bible says about when you receive the Holy Spirit. In him, in Christ, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When did you receive the Holy Spirit? When you surrendered to Christ. It's right there in the scriptures. You don't need a gift to prove whether or not you have the Holy Spirit. We believe God at his word, and then we trust that he will give us gifts that are for a purpose that's not just for my own experience with God. And we'll look at that in a second. It's for the edification of the body. You receive the Holy Spirit, and he's the promised one when you heard the gospel and you believed in him. When that happened, friend, you received the Holy Spirit who is now in you who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Did you hear that? Guarantee. Follower of Jesus, you will make it. He's the guarantee of your salvation. Until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Friends, my desire for our church community is that we would be aware of and grow deeper in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I know for those that more of you more brought up in a more conservative tradition or church and back in the day, Man, you start talking about the Holy Spirit, that's when all the weird stuff happens. Oh, it makes me uncomfortable. I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Or so long as the Holy Spirit, just keep him a little bit confined. Keep him tamed. Friends, I want, I want the Holy Spirit type of experiences that are in here. I want to know that when I live every day, I go, man, the Holy Spirit's with me. I could, man, he's there. What if I didn't feel it? He's there. He's there. But don't you want that difference of a life that people sit there and go, what is it about you? Yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. It's not me. I'm not that impressive. It's him. I want us as a community to dive into this. For those that enjoy to read, uh, there's a book I highly recommend it called Experiencing the Spirit by Henry Blackaby and Mel Blackaby. I highly recommend it. Because I think they take an incredibly biblical approach to what is the spirit's, what, what's the Spirit's role. And I think there are a few things that we need, and here's a reason why, why I want us to dive into understanding who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do, and what's my relationship with him look like. The first is this. We can't have a relationship with God without the Holy Spirit. You can't. It all starts with him. They wrote this. They said, the Holy Spirit is the, one, is the only one who moves upon a person to bring conviction of sin, the desire to be in a right relationship with God, Speaking to the Holy Spirit, Jesus said this. This is what Jesus said. When he has come, he will convict. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Without his work of the Spirit, you're incapable of responding to God. So that's the first. It starts with him. Second is this. I want us to become aware of God's presence. I want us to become aware of him. Not just, I know it, but do you aware? Say, God, would you let me experience? Yes, hold on to the truth of what the scriptures say. He's never going to leave me nor forsake me. But he also talks about this power that I'm going to receive. When the Holy Spirit comes upon me, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I want to be aware of his presence. I want us all to experience that. They wrote this, the role of the Holy Spirit is not to bring God's presence to the world, but to reveal it. The third is this, I want us to experience the life that comes with having the Holy Spirit 
This is where they make mention of, of the power, the resurrection power. Resurrection power is found in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is found in every believer. And the degree to which we walk in the Spirit's fullness and power is the degree to which our lives will impact the world around us. Fourth, here's a fourth reason I want us to. I want all of us to use our spiritual gifts to edify and build up Ignite City Church. I want us all to be involved in this. I want everyone to say, okay, so what's my part? And then to edify everyone around you by using that gift. Whatever that gift is, to use it. I use this example always, I mean, a lot of times. When you go on vacation and you experience it, it's a completely different enjoyable experience. Hopefully, it's an enjoyable experience because you were there. But when somebody tells you about their vacation, yeah, I'm kind of interested, but not really. Like, oh, and and you're going to show me pictures today. Oh, great. Can you just send them to me? Because then you can just scroll through them as quick as you want, right? Just go as fast as you want. But when it's like a slideshow, I want to tell you, you have 14 hours? Let me explain to you what happened on our trip. This rock, this is the one that he tripped over. He broke his toes. Fantastic. We all laughed at him until we realized that he's really hurt. Oh, then we felt really bad, but we kind of snickered behind. It's like, they go through every story, and you're like, God, come now. Whether the rapture, Jesus, or death, I don't care. Get me out of here. But when you get in the fight, when you get in the game, it's different. They say that spiritual gifts are bestowed on believers according to the purposes of God and are distributed according to the sovereign wisdom of God. Our spiritual gifts never belong to us. They're an expression of the Holy Spirit doing the Father's will through us. In 1 Corinthians 14, 12, so also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Guys, you're here and part of this community for a purpose, for a reason. He's gifted you for something to do to bless us, and I've been here, I've been, I've been giving gifts to bless you, and we're all supposed to bless each other. Fifth reason, I want all of us to grow in discerning the specific revelations of the Holy Spirit. Where do I get this? Look at verse 26. And it had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Guys, I can't show you a Bible verse that says that to Simeon. I haven't found the Bible where it says, Brian, you will live this long. But Simeon was told by the Holy Spirit, you will not die until you see the Messiah. That was specific to him because other people died before they got to see him. But Simeon was told by the Holy Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit was speaking specifically to him about a specific thing. So how do we know what we're supposed to do? You take the specific thing that the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you and you take it and put it through the filter of the expressed will of God, which is mentioned in the word of God. And if it ever contradicts, that thought contradicts what's expressly written in the Bible. It is not from him. Friends, I do not trust fallible people enough to give someone ultimate complete authority To say, this is what God says when it contradicts the scriptures. Oh, but they have a place. They have a place of authority. Therefore, what they say supersedes the scriptures. Friends, we are sinful to the core. We cannot be trusted with that kind of authority. Therefore, God gives us the word so we can hold to what is true. It's for our protection and our good that we know what it is that God says. And then we can live in the freedom of enjoying a relationship with the Holy Spirit, we, we believe and we know he's speaking to us. It goes on. Look at Simeon's interaction. 
with Jesus and his parents. When the, when, and he came in the spirit, which means he was guided by the spirit into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. In other words, for everyone goes on, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And then there's this explanation, which I wonder if he just looks at Mary and goes, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mary, what's gonna come about is going to, it's almost gonna destroy you. It's gonna feel like a sword is being pierced into your heart. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. As I want us to know and walk with and enjoy the Holy Spirit. The beauty of the Holy Spirit is he will always point us back to Jesus. Every time. And it moves us to principle number four. I'm going to rush these as quick as I can. Principle number four. Worship the Lord with fasting and prayer. With fasting and prayer is like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to do that one. I'm not saying start tomorrow. Don't start on the 7th because that's when in and outs coming. We're not going to fast that day. There's parts of the Old Testament that says, hey, I want you to eat the fat in my presence. And I'm sitting there going, amen. We're going to do that. Look at, and there was a prophetess, <gasps> prophetess. Guys, in the Old Testament, you don't see a lot of prophetesses. That's a fun word to say, prophetesses. In fact, in, the Jewish, in, 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 in ancient Israel, uh, a female prophetess was not the norm. However, the scriptures teach that there are some. Women, I make sure that you understand, please use your gifts. Please use your gifts and your callings in this community. There was a prophetess, Anna, the, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years. That's not fair. If it was a guy, I feel like, like that dude was older than dirt. When's a girl's like, advanced in years. She's uh, okay. Having, that's just my own thing. Having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping, here it is, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. She worshiped the Lord with fasting and prayer. Guys, I need to confess to you that I've taught you incorrectly about what fasting is. As I've said, guys, you can fast anything. Guys, we can give up things. We can give up anything for a certain amount of time. That's not fasting. Fasting is to give up food. Now, it can be a partial fast. It can be a complete fast. I've done a, I've done a complete fast, but it was like a fundraiser thing for a youth group. It's like, we're going to do the 30-hour family raising money for those who don't have anything. And 30 hours, oh my gosh, was tough especially with middle schoolers and high schoolers, that all of a sudden we just get grumpy together. We're serving together the next day. Guys, we're going to serve the Lord. Like, shut up. And I'm like, okay, you shut up. So then we're all grumpy toward one another. So maybe we don't do this all together in the same place at the same time. But fasting means I'm going to give up what my body needs for a specific amount of time that I would rely completely upon God. And when I get hungry for that thing, I'll deny it and I'll go to prayer. And so in January, we're going to introduce, to, for those that want to, friends, this is not a you have to or you don't know the Lord. This is if the Lord calls you to do it. We're going to do a Daniel fast. And Dick brought this, Dick Ruth brought this to my attention. He's like, yeah, we could try this. Let's try it. See what happens. 
We're gonna give up certain, we're gonna give up certain foods and he's gonna explain it more on the 14th if you're interested. There'll be a short meeting right after the worship service on the 14th. But we're gonna, give up a, a, uh, we're gonna give up food for a certain amount of time for the purpose of prayer, growing deeper in our relationship with God, seeing God bring about healing in areas of our lives that we need it. Guys, if this is brought up by Anna, who fasted and prayed constantly in the temple, why is it we don't practice it today? Because we love food. Amen. Me too. But I wanna love Jesus more. And I want him to know it. And so there's a, there's a 10-day fast. There's also a 21-day fast. But again, you sit there and go, you know how long that is? I do know how long it is. But what if God wants to do something pretty, pretty incredible? Again, this is if you feel led. If physically you can't, medically you can't, don't do it. This is pray through it. God, is this what you want me to do? And if so, I want to do it because I want to grow in relationship with you. The other thing is prayer. Guys, I want to introduce you in half. The worship team can come back up. For those that struggle with prayer, like, where do you keep the list of who you're praying for? It's like, well, I, keep it on, I just keep it on a, a constant rolling scroll. Okay, great. You write everything down. Perfect. I just have a hard time keeping track of all of them. So I found this app called The Inner Room. Guys, I highly recommend it. And why? Because you put all your requests in there, and, you, and then it reminds you. Guys, the Jewish people, they prayed morning, noon, evening. They learned the rhythm of prayer. What if we learn the rhythm of prayer? So I have, I have certain reminders. It'll say, are you ready to pray? I hit yes. You can say how long you want to pray. You hit start, and then it'll tell you what to pray for. It gives you a certain amount of time. Pray for this, and you pray for that. And then right after, and this is the part I love also, it says when you go through that prayer time for that person or that thing, it then says, now listen to God. And I go, yes. Guys, I highly recommend it. It, is, it has changed my prayer life, and I'm so thankful for that. Because of time, let me just give you principle number five. We thank Jesus for what he did, and we tell others about him. Verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She told everybody about it, not because she had to, but because she was able to, she got to. I want to get us out of the mentality. Guys, I don't want us to just do things because we have to. Go tell Jesus, don't go tell people about Jesus because you have to. Guys, just go tell people about Jesus because you get to. When we get it, we understand who we were before Christ and what it is that he did for us, not deserving of it, all by his grace. When he did that for me, he did that for the world. Oh, I gotta make sure people hear about it because who am I to have it to keep it to myself? Oh, to get to share the beauty of Jesus. That's what she did. There was no rule that she's like, I signed a commitment back in the day that I would do this. She just had to. Had to because she got to. Because of who Jesus was. She got to see Jesus. Ah, it's beautiful. So I'll close with this. Romans 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters... In view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Those principles that I mentioned, things that we can do, spending time with God in his word, in prayer, fasting, using spiritual gifts, becoming aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit, my question is this, will you engage these things as we start a new year tomorrow? 
Guys, will you be intentional about your relationship with Jesus? Or will you continue to say something like this? Well, I'm saved, that's enough. Guys, I'll be honest, I wasn't, I wasn't saved to simply be saved. I was saved that I could relate and be with the creator of the universe. Relationship with him is what he desires. The invitation is to follow him, not just be saved by him. It's to follow him. Will you engage in it? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you came, and we thank you for these principles, and I pray that they're of you. Anything that's not God, help us to forget it. But Jesus, thank you. And in this last song, God, I pray that you are honored as we tell you that we love you. We tell you why we love you. We just call out to you in worship. God, thank you. God, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than you know.